Welcome to Basecamp for Men. I'm your host, Tony Rezac. This is a show that gives you insights and resources on how to live a more courageous life. We'll be looking at men, the current state of masculinity, and how to create a more inspiring narrative for all men. Welcome and let's get started. My guest today has a quote in her book spoken by her mentor that says, quote, the nature of life is change and the nature of people is to resist change, unquote. There's so much wisdom in this simple little statement. The hero or the protagonist of the story, which is you, must always be reconciling this dynamic. How do we get ourselves ready for the next chapters of our lives, knowing that loss and change and life itself will shake our very foundation? How do we keep our narratives flexible so as not to get too rigid in our interpretations of what has happened to us, of who we are, and what is possible for us moving forward? In many ways, we don't see how we create our own limitations or how we will often use story to create inertia in our lives, blocking us from the very things that we often crave, love, vitality, forgiveness, and renewal. We want a fresh chapter, but we keep telling ourselves the same old stories about ourselves and our world. My hope is that today's conversation can help show how psychotherapy can be used as a powerful tool to help us rewrite the parts of our narrative that no longer serve our growth or our potential. As a champion and recipient of many, many hours of therapy, I can attest to the effectiveness of the tools you learn and the value of changing perspectives on a life situation. Therapists are often excellent guides in getting forward movement back into the protagonist's story. The takeaway, that the story of your life is always open to a fresh interpretation. Lori Gottlieb is a psychotherapist and author of the New York Times bestseller, Maybe You Should Talk to Someone, which is being adapted as a television series. In addition to her clinical practice, she writes the Atlantic's weekly Dear Therapist advice column and contributes regularly to the New York Times and many other publications. Her recent TED Talk is one of the top 10 most watched of the year, and her iHeartRadio podcast, Dear Therapists, produced by Katie Couric, will premiere later this year. Here is my interview with Lori Gottlieb. Okay, I am here with Lori Gottlieb. Lori, welcome to Basecamp for Men. It's great to have you on the show. Oh, thanks so much for having me. Yeah, I, you know, I first discovered you. It wasn't your book. It was your your great TED Talk. You gave a great TED Talk that I've recommended to a bunch of people called How Changing Your Story Can Change Your Life. And it was such an inspiring, as soon as I listened to like the first two minutes, I'm like, I have to get this woman on my show. She's so great. Um, and in in the talk, you mentioned that um, we're, we are in many ways unreliable narrators of our own lives. And I think a lot of people would probably balk at that and say, what, what does she mean by that? Um, and so I wanted to ask you, in what ways are we unreliable narrators of our own lives? And then I was going to share um, something about that from my own life with you. But so I guess just elaborate a little bit on how, how are we unreliable narrators? Yeah, so the TED Talk is sort of like a mini version of the book, if you could sort of encapsulate one of the major themes, and that's this theme that you're talking about, which is that our stories shape our lives, the stories that we tell ourselves. And often the stories that we tell ourselves aren't that accurate. And I don't mean that they're not accurate in that we're purposely misleading when we tell our stories. But often we don't realize how unreliable we are as narrators, meaning when people come into therapy and they tell me a story, 
um, you know, they're making a choice about who are the heroes and the villains in the story. And, um, you know, what are they emphasizing about that story? And what are they minimizing or leaving out entirely? And, and how do they want me to feel about what they're telling me? And how do they want me to feel about them as they're telling me the story? And so a lot of times we tell stories in a way that will skew it to what we think is our advantage. Right. And we don't realize we're doing that. It's completely outside of our awareness, usually. And so I feel like what I'm doing as a therapist is, and I have a writing background, of course, and so I feel like I'm almost like an editor sitting in the therapist chair where I help people to look at their faulty narratives and do a rewrite because usually there's something in their narrative that is tripping them up, that is keeping them stuck and holding them back. And a lot of people think, well, I'm coming to therapy to get to know myself. But I also feel like a lot of therapy is getting to unknow yourself. It's to let go of that limiting story that you've been telling yourself about yourself so that you can be freed up to look at your story a little bit differently. And that gives you a lot more options in terms of where the plot's going to go. That's great. That's great. I, I When I was listening to that talk, I had this aha around a blind spot that I have as a writer that says, you know, creative people, um, money doesn't come easily or it's it's hard to make money as a writer. But then I interview you, uh, Benjamin Hardy. I, I talk to lots of people that have, there's evidence to the contrary. I think I've built this this uh, this belief system around, oh, it, it, money does not come easily for creative people. But um, it, it, it's very limiting and I can see how I'm the one that's kind of holding it in place. <laughs> right. And those are exactly the kinds of stories that, you know, influence the decisions that we make and the mm -hmm. choices that we make. And I think when people really examine the validity of those stories and their their reasons for why they can't have what they want, mm -hmm. why why they can't take risks, why they um, why, you know, there are certain parts of them where they feel almost trapped. Mm -hmm. it, it reminds me of, um, there's this moment in the book where my therapist, and just for people who haven't read the book, the book follows four patients as they go through therapy with me. And then I'm the fifth patient as I go through therapy with my therapist, as I go through something. And my therapist says to me at one point, he says, you know, you remind me of this cartoon and it's of a prisoner shaking the bars, desperately trying to get out. But on the right and the left, it's open no bars. So that's most of us. We feel completely trapped by whatever our situations are because of these stories that we've told ourselves. Mm -hmm. And yet really, th that's not really the story because you can just walk around those bars. Well, why don't we? Because with freedom comes responsibility. And so now the story is, if we choose to walk around those bars, we have to take responsibility for our lives. That's we great. are responsible for things when they don't go right. We can't blame it on you know someone else or something else anymore. And, and that's really hard to deal with sometimes. That's absolutely true. I, I love what you said um, is, uh, you asked, is the protagonist of the story moving forward? And are the supporting char characters important or a distraction? I, I do men's workshops and often, I use myth as as the hero's journey to see, you know, is the man, is the hero of the story on the move? Is he gathering resources? Is he stuck? I've never quite heard it put where um, are the supporting characters important or a distraction? What can you elaborate on that a little bit? Like what that piece right there is interesting to me. Like um, how has that shaped the hero's journey or the protagonist's forward movement in the story? 
Yeah. So, um, you know, a great example might be the the person that I write about, John, in the book, mm. where he comes in and he's all about the supporting characters. Yeah. He's all about everybody's making my life miserable. I, I'm stressed out. I have insomnia. This is going on with my wife. This is going on at work. Yeah. Um, you know, everybody's making my life miserable. And, um, you know, and, and some of those supporting characters were really not relevant to the central dilemma. You know, it's it's something that took me very much by surprise, but I knew that there was something there because a lot of times what people will do is they will distract with all kinds of external things. So mm-hmm. a lot of people come in and they say, I want something to change. Something's not working in my life. And usually what they want to change is someone else or something else out there. And what they don't realize is that they have a role in the story. And so certainly there are difficult people out there. I remember when I was training, um, a supervisor had said to me, before diagnosing someone with depression, make sure they aren't surrounded by assholes. There are difficult people out there. But then the question is, what is your role in in making that relationship so difficult? How do you exacerbate the situation? Do you even need to be in that relationship? Can you get can you write that supporting character out of the story entirely? Right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I your book is so great. Your book, um, maybe you should talk to someone. It, it was really unique reading it because I don't remember another book where um, it was written by a therapist going through her own process with a really, really highly skilled therapist, and also sharing a number of cases that she, that you had as as a therapist. Um, it was super revealing with lots of layers. And the the one character, John, that you had mentioned, and I'm not going to reveal too much. But at the beginning, when you first introduce him, I think, what an a-hole. What a type A, Hollywood a-hole. Like, I don't like this guy. But through the course of the book, all of a sudden, it's like the, the layers get peeled back. And it's just got this heartbreaking backstory that you can't help but just, you know, heart open to the man. And I think I, I was left with the book was with like, how many times do I judge people that are rude to me or you know, display arrogance or insensitivity or get really positional about something. And I have no idea what the backstory is whatsoever. Like I'm just rushing to judgment. The book is brilliant at showing, you know, the other side of maybe quick decisions we make about people, which we often make a lot. It could be somebody says something at the grocery store and you're like, I don't like that person, you know? And yet we're completely unaware of their backstory and the humanity that we share. The book was brilliant for for showing that. So nice job. What was the inspiration to write it? Yeah, well, I just want to say something about what you just said, which is that that John, you know, comes off as incredibly abrasive and insulting. And as you, um, you know, said it <laughs> elegantly, he seems like an asshole. Um, and, and the thing about it is that I think sometimes what happens is we judge people because we don't realize that their behaviors are a way of speaking the unspeakable. Mm-hmm. So there's something that they feel like they can't talk about. And so they, in John's case, they keep people at a distance, right? By being yep. kind of abrasive. Um, and and I think that that it's really important to understand, especially for men in this culture, that they aren't given permission to talk about the kinds of things that women are feel more free to talk about. So men will come into my office and they'll say, I've never told anyone this before. And then I sit back and wait for what they're going to tell me. And usually it's something that to me feels so mild. And even if they have like a partner and, you know, family and friends and whatever, um, they still didn't feel comfortable talking about that. Women will come in and they'll say something similar, 
but with a twist. They'll say, you know, I never told anyone this before, except for my mother and my sister and my best friend. Right. right. So right, they right. told one to three people, um, but they feel like they haven't told anybody. And so I, I see that too when I see couples where, um, you know, say that like a woman says uh, to her husband, you know, I really want to know what's going on with you. I really want to feel closer to you. I want to know what's going on with your inner life. And so then he opens up to her and let's say he starts crying. Yeah. And she looks at me like deer in headlights. You know, like on the one hand, I really want this. I think it will make me feel safer and more connected if I can get to know you on this level. And on the other hand, it scares the shit out of me that you're crying in front of me and I feel unsafe all of a sudden. So these are the mixed messages that men get. And I think that in John's story in the book, you can see how that evolves and, and, and how the culture kind of plays into his personal history, but also sort of what he thinks his role is supposed to be in the family as like the mm-hmm. rock, the person who doesn't break down, the strong one, even though he really is, is suffering so much inside. That's true. I mean, as men, we're so cultured, you know, we're not brought up to speak of our inner lives uh, with any confidence or, you know, like, uh, the emotional spectrum, it's, it's excitement and anger and everything else is kind of stuffed. And so it can, the whole inner life, uh, can take on this, you know, he's got this covering of shame. Like it must all be, you know, not okay or unmanly if I feel afraid or if I feel ashamed or if I feel sad at this loss, or if I'm scared of what the next phase of my life's going to be like, it's considered, you know, uh, that, that's not what men talk about. So they just bottle it up. Yeah, it's, it starts young. I it mean, you know, so I have a son, I'm, I'm the mom of a boy and, and it starts young. I see, so my son is an athlete and I, and I see that, you know, if something like with boys, like coaches will say to them, like, just brush it off, get up, stand mm-hmm. up, you know, whatever it is, right? Yep. Um, you know, and if if something is happening with a girl, people say like, oh, tell me about this, you know, right. like, let's talk about this. Um, or, you know, if a girl says like, I'm worried about something, we say, oh, tell me about that. If a boy says, I'm really worried about this, we say, oh, don't worry about it, it'll be fine, right? So we don't give them room to not only feel their feelings, but even at a certain point, they start to talk themselves out of their feelings. They start to not right. even access their feelings. They don't even pay attention to what they're feeling because it feels so not cool to feel what they're feeling. And that, and they really suffer as adults because they, they suffer in relationships. They suffer professionally. Mm-hmm. Um, they're, it's almost like our feelings are a GPS. They tell us what direction to go in. And if you aren't able to access your feelings, it's like you're walking around with a faulty GPS. Mm-hmm. Are you able to get your son who's about my son's age? Are you able to get him to talk about how he feels? Cause I mean, my son is growing up in an you know environment where the feelings are talked about quite you know openly, but he's still sort of like I don't know, you know, like eh, I don't want to talk, <laughs> I don't want to talk about feelings with you guys, you know, so much. So uh, it becomes an exercise in kind of reading him, reading his body language and how he's being, and then and then and giving him space to not if he doesn't want to. But um, I just wondered how you're able to, I don't know, bring your son into you know a, a healthy emotional intelligence for his age. Yeah. Well, I think my son goes to a school where um, they have a wellness program that really, they have this class where they talk about all kinds of things that my son would never talk about with me. And so I know from um, the wellness teacher that the boys do open up in those classes, Yeah. but I think that's really different from doing it with a parent. But I think that just having those skills 
and and having the practice and being able to talk in front of his classmates, both male and female classmates, um, about his inner life, um, I think is really good practice for sort of changing the narrative around boys and expectations around feelings mm. so that it becomes a normal part of their lives. And I think as parents, we can facilitate that without sort of moving boys into a place where they feel like they're being forced to talk about something. So I think the words tell me more are the, the three most useful words you can use with your with your with boys and girls, but especially with boys. Um, you know, they're talking about something and instead of like asking a lot of questions and bombarding them because they get flooded very easily. Mm-hmm. Um, to simply say, oh, tell me more about that. And then they'll tell you more. That's great. That's great. You you talk about in the book, you say you listen for people's stories. You're listening for their flexibility with their stories. Why is that so important? It has to do with the fact that when people come into me, I want to hear what is not working in their lives. But I also want to hear how flexible they are in terms of um, having a different perspective on what's not working. Mm-hmm. Because again, I want them to be able to see their role in the story. Yeah. So um, I think that um, if someone comes in and they're very, very rigid about their story, it's going to take me a little bit longer to get them to the place where I can kind of hold up a mirror to them and help them to see themselves in a new way. Um, you know, I think, I, you know, as I've talked about, what we do with our friends is, is called idiot compassion. We just mm-hmm. back them up no matter what. Yeah. And I think that what you get in, in therapy is wise compassion. It's kind of like if a fight breaks out in every bar you're going to, maybe it's you. Our friends won't say that to us, but a therapist will help you to get to that place of why does this keep happening to you? How did you end up in this place? Yeah. And how can we help you see something about your role in it so that you can do something differently. So a lot of times, like what I'll, what I'll see happen is somebody will say to me, um, you know, now I understand why I get into that argument with my wife. Mm-hmm. And I'll say, well, did you do something different? Well, no, but I understand why. So insight is the booby prize of therapy. It's you have to be accountable for change. And so it's, it's not enough to know why you do something. It's about, and what are you going to do with this knowledge? It's not like coming to therapy as you're going to download the problem of the week, gain some insight and leave. It's you're going to come in, you're going to learn something about yourself, and you're going to then apply it to your life outside. And then we're going to talk about how that's working. That's great. I, I, the book was great at showing how people move from rigid in their narrative into more flexibility, yourself included. Like at the beginning, you're really rigid around the narrative around your ex and just watching how that unthawed with the skillfulness of Wendell, your therapist. Um, and it, it was kind of different versions of that. You, you start off with the case and you think, how is this person going to change? How is this going to, how is this person going to start getting movement in their life? But over the process, you start to see one aha after the next building that kind of bridge into a more flexible or new narrative. That's more uplifting for them. Uh, really great. Yeah. You know, I think there is a lot of layering that goes Mm -hmm. on and that's Mm -hmm. sort of the difference again, between what you're going to get when you talk to friends or family about something that's not working and what happens with a therapist. It's almost like going to a therapist is getting a really good second opinion on your life from someone who knows how to help you to um, hear what is going to be important. Yeah, because your your friends don't always want to tell you something uncomfortable about yourself, right? No, I mean that's the that's the idiot compassion. Yeah. Oh, he's an asshole. You know, he, he you're better than him, kind of thing. So um, yeah, it's always like, yeah, that's terrible that they did that. Like you're right, they're wrong. Yeah. How dare they hurt your feelings? Yeah. Yeah. So I have a question about 
this whole, I, I'm asking this lately, obviously, for the, the times we live in, the whole COVID-19. I'm curious as to what your take is as a, as a really great storyteller and also a psychotherapist. What are we, what is the, what is the protagonist of this story learning right now? Like, what are we learning as humanity right now through this? I'm, I'm very curious about this. I'm asking it a lot, not only people on the show, but I'm asking, you know, friends and people that I meet, like, what are we learning by this? What is your take on this? I think there are a lot of takeaways. Um, mm-hmm. One of them is that the language that we use to describe things really impacts the ways that we're going to cope. So at the beginning of COVID, a lot of us, we would talk, we'd always say the word isolation, we're isolated. Um, we are not in solitary confinement in a dark cell in a jail um, where we have no access to anyone or anything. Right. Um, we actually um, are, we can connect with anybody, um, but we're physically distanced, right? Yeah. And so I think that I think that even just the way that we conceive of our situation changes the way we feel about it. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's part of it. And I think the other part of it is one of the silver linings of this horrible situation is that we have really had, I think, a reckoning um, of what is important to us and what are our priorities. Mm-hmm. And so some people are saying, I really like not having the hour and a half commute every day to work. This really yeah. frees up something in me, in my my world, in my life, in my psyche. Um, or some people are saying, I really like that I now have time to go out and take a walk. Or I really like that I can read a book or connect with a friend and have a longer conversation than I normally do. Or we're not running around to a million different activities. Or I can yeah. actually... Um, hang out with my partner, you know, um, whatever, whatever it is. And I think people feel guilty about that because they feel like, well, amid so much suffering, how can I experience something positive? And there's no sort of hierarchy here of, you know, there's a both and there's a, mm-hmm. um, you know, there's suffering going on. Absolutely true. And the, the rest of your life is also happening. Both things are happening at once and they're both equally valid. So when we talk mm-hmm. about story, it's not one story or another. It's, it's the combination of the two. So I think that what people will take away from this experience is what are their priorities? Who are the people and what are the things that are important to me? And how can I prioritize those and put my emotional real estate in that direction, as opposed to what are the things and people that maybe drain me or take something away from me that I'm realizing now that I don't have them, I don't actually need in my life or I don't need in the same way. So I think there's a real question about intentionality that I think we're going to take away from this. That's great. I'm hearing that across the board in my men's groups, um, in the conversations I'm having is um, the the consensus is I don't want it to go back to the way it was. And that doesn't mean they don't want to see the economy start back up or they don't want to, you know, they don't want to go to a baseball game again. They're not saying that. They're just saying there's enough that isn't in alignment with their hearts that they don't want it to go back to working 60 hours a week or buying all that stuff that they don't need or whatever, whatever the thing is they're, they're removing. Uh, I'm seeing a more discernment in people and saying, hey, when this resets, I would like to reset on my own terms a little bit more. That's right. That's exactly it. Yeah. So, and then I wanted to ask you, uh, what is something that you would really love men to understand better about women? And then I'll, and then vice versa as well. Mm. I would say the thing I really want men, and again, these are gross generalizations, but the thing that I would want men to understand about women is that um it's important to understand why your this this woman in your life, whoever she is or whatever your mm-hmm. relationship is with her, is telling you what she's telling you. 
Mm. So a lot of times, um, if you don't know in advance, like, are you wanting a hug? Are you want me to uh, troubleshoot this problem with you? Are you wanting me to give you a solution? Are you just wanting to vent? What are you wanting out of this conversation, right? If you don't know that in advance, both people are going to get really frustrated. So I think a lot of times men feel like, I don't know what she wants. Like, I, you know, like I've, I'm doing all these things and not, I can't please her. And so I hear that a lot, like nothing I do pleases her. And, and all it takes as a question is, what is it that you want, right? We don't ask, we just make assumptions about what the other person wants. And then we, we think we're giving them something, we're being so generous <laughs> and yet that's not the thing that she wanted. So, and, and it's her fault too, for not really vocalizing that. Yeah. But one thing that you can do is to say, I really wanna support you in this. Tell me what would be most helpful. Tell me what you're wanting from me in this moment. So I can give you that. That's great. Cause I, I go as a man, I go into problem solving, right? <laughs> and it's like not helpful. You know, sometimes she's like, she's not saying that's not what she's looking for, but I, that's my reflex is to go into, let's figure this out together. And that's, that's not often what she's asking for. Exactly. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, and then how about uh, something that women that you would love women to understand about the men? I think I would like women to understand that the men when they're when they're not giving you what you want, um, that it's not because they're not trying, and mm -hmm. it's not because they don't see you or they don't understand you or they're ignoring you. It's because you have to bring something to their attention, and you have to do it in a really concrete way. And I think that sometimes women will talk to men the way that they talk to women, which is a little more abstract. Um, it's a little more nuanced. And I don't mean that men aren't nuanced or aren't abstract, but I mean that I think men respond better to something really concrete. Like, yep. I want you to understand this, yep. right? Sure. Um, and, and if you can be a little bit more concrete with them, they're going to be able to support you in the way that you want. If you are going to talk to them the way that you talk to your girlfriend, they're going to tune out because they actually don't know what the thread of what you're saying is and they're going to lose focus. Yeah, so, totally. Yeah, I think it's just really knowing what the other person's style is and making sure that you're appealing to that when you're trying to communicate with them. That's great. Um, well, and do you have any um, creative projects, anything coming up that you'd like our listeners to know about? Sure. Well, um, I have a new podcast coming out um, in July and it's uh, Katie Kirk is producing it for iHeart and it's called Dear Therapists and it's with me and I have a co-host Guy Winch. Um, he is a therapist in New York and also his TED Talk was um, he's had these uh, incredibly popular TED Talks. Um, so we met through TED and we um, have people on and we kind of give the behind the scenes of how therapists talk about um, somebody's issue. Mm -hmm. And um, and then we give them some suggestions. And then the part that we don't get to do in our respective columns, because he does the advice column for TED and I do the advice column for The Atlantic, we don't share with readers because we don't always know um, what happened after we gave the advice. So in mm. the podcast, we actually have them tell us, you know, how did it go? And then I think we can all learn a lot from what worked and what didn't. So there's that extra twist that nobody has really done before. So we're really looking forward to that. And then of course, people can read the book. Maybe you should talk to someone. They can listen to the TED Talk um, or read the advice column. That's great. I can't wait for the show to come out. That's going to be super exciting. I'll definitely be tuning in and I'll, we'll let our listeners know. So thank you so much, Lori, for coming on to Basecamp for Men. It was an absolute pleasure to meet you and talk with you. And thank you for sharing your wisdom and keep up all the great work you've been doing. Oh, thank you so much. I really enjoyed the conversation. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Lori Gottlieb. 
I loved the story she shared about the cartoon that showed a prisoner standing behind bars, seemingly trapped in a cage, but with no bars on the sides. It's such an accurate, vivid depiction of so many of our struggles. How often do we think that we're penned in or stuck in life when we just need to have the awareness and the courage to walk around the bars? To learn more about Lori and her work and book, go to www.lorigottlieb.com or follow her on Twitter or Instagram. And go get a copy of her excellent best-selling book, Maybe You Should Talk to Someone. And lastly, make sure you look for her new podcast this summer on iHeartRadio called Dear Therapists with Guy Wentz. That's our show for today. Men, remember that the story of your life is not yet all told. I'm Tony Rezac, and thank you for listening to Basecamp for Men. 